All right, guys, I am so excited to, uh, to be up here. Now that, now that I've, got, I've got the pulpit and I'm preaching live, I'm not giving it up. What do you think about that? I'm not giving it up anymore. No more video teaching. So, um, you know, last night I had, I had uh, Pastor Jonathan come up and do the announcements, and I had asked him to pray over the offering, as we always do. And he, happy accident, he forgot to do that. So I got up here, and my intention was just to, was just to pray over the offering as we normally do and, and get to my message because I'm excited about what I think God has for us. But um, as I started to do that, the Lord just put a burden on my heart, and I want to kind of share the same thing that I did last night with you, and that is in, in terms of offering. So we are still for, for uh, how many more hours? You know, um, 12 more hours, we're still Jubilee Fellowship Church, and our tithe should go to Jubilee Fellowship Church. If you want to give to Discover above and beyond for end of the year, it's tax deductible, you can do that. But that's an offering, and that is, we've taught on that before, the difference between tithes and offerings. But we want to honor Jubilee Fellowship Church and all that they have done for us, all they've done personally for Gabe and I, all they've done for this campus, this church, these people, and all that Jubilee has done throughout the world. I just think back to some of the stories that Pastor John has told us as a staff about starting Jubilee Fellowship Church 20 years ago. You know, Jubilee Fellowship started 20 years ago. And it started with Pastor John getting a vision when he was firmly and comfortably entrenched at another church, had a great position, great future, and God said, I need you to go. I want you to leave this comfortable thing behind, and I want you to go out, and I'm calling you to a new place and to a new thing. And so he left Walked into that new thing, came down here, rented an office, because you need an office, right? So he rented an office, and he didn't have a place to meet yet. But he tells the story about looking at the phone. He had a desk, and he had a phone sitting there. It's back when phones plugged into the wall, you know, and had a cord on them. And he tells the story of looking at that phone, wondering if it was ever going to ring, wondering if anyone was ever going to come to his church, Okay. Fast forward now 20 years later. Here we are sitting in some of the fruit of his faithfulness, of his listening to God and stepping out into what God had called him to do. We just finished Christmas Eve services. We had seven services over at the Lone Tree Campus. Approximately 3,500 people came. 3,500 people then looking back, looking at his phone, wondering if anybody was ever going to come. And I know that every now and then... Gabe and I will get that little that kind of tingle like, what if nobody comes? What if nobody comes? But here's what I know is that we're stepping out in that very same call. God has called us to do this. Pastor John has been gracious enough to give us the opportunity after himself hearing from the Lord that this is time. It's time to send out. So the Highlands Ranch campus split out from Jubilee, from, from Central as a campus 10 years ago. So as a campus, we're in our 10th year. At the time that that happened, Jubilee Fellowship was in its 10th year. So about every 10 years, God does something to kind of take the lid off, okay? And by doing that, by allowing that opportunity to happen, new growth happens, okay? We were able to exponentially expand the kingdom and the people who were able to come and hear what God had for them through Jubilee by allowing the campuses to start. And so Pastor John's vision that he got from God again was by doing that only by launching us independently 
as our own church, with our own vision, our own mission, that that would again allow further growth in the kingdom. More people, not only to this campus, which is great, but the idea is that that allows more things to happen in the kingdom. It allows more people to exercise their gifts. It allows more things to happen. And through his willingness to do that 20 years ago and step out into that scary place, look at what has happened all throughout the world. And so we have so much to be thankful for. And so as I pray over the offering, I want to, I want to include thanks to everything that he has done. Okay, and his faithfulness, and then just pray for us going forward. So would you join me in that? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for all that you have done. I thank you for Pastor John and Pastor Chris Leach and their vision all those years ago to be faithful to what you put on their hearts. Their willingness and their boldness to step out in that, God, has allowed so many people to enjoy the blessings of God. Not only at this campus, but all over the world, people have been touched by the vision that you have given him. And so, Lord, we just... Thank you for that. Take our tithes, take our offerings, put them towards what you are doing. God, we want to be a part of what you're doing because we've seen it happen. We want to be a part of what you're doing going forward. Lord, bless our new endeavor. Bless our boldness as we step into this together. Corporately as a body, we walk into this new thing that you have for us, full of excitement that in 20 years we'll look back and we'll say, remember that day when we were nervous. God, there is none of that. In your kingdom, Lord, when we know we answer your call, Lord, you bless that. And so, Lord, we lift it all up to you and just ask that your blessings be upon it. And as we go into this message, Lord, I just pray for your rhema word to come on all of us, that it wouldn't be about the words that I speak, but it would be the words that you speak directly into our hearts. Lord, let your will be done today and every day in this place. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, I am so excited to... Hey, Jeremy, can we get that timer? There it is. Okay. I'm looking in the wrong place. That's my bad, not Jeremy's bad. Hey, I'm excited, guys, to to teach this message today. And I want to let you know something. The notes that you should have gotten on the way in, okay, take a careful look at those and then throw them away, okay? Not literally. I don't want paper cuts and poked eyes and stuff like that. But we're not going to use the notes. And here's why. I want to let you know this. We got together as a campus pastor team, teaching team, about three weeks ago now. And we talked about what we felt like we wanted to teach. And we kind of got together and we sort of, we picked a scripture and we kind of came up with sort of a theme that we wanted to talk about. But then because the offices were closed down for Christmas and all these things were going on, we actually printed these notes weeks ago. Well, how many of you know that the ideal way to teach is to listen to what God has for you and what he wants you to teach at that time? So in those three weeks, I've been praying about, Lord, how do you want me to develop this message? How do you want me to put it together? And what I feel that he gave me and that he put on my heart um, only loosely resembles what you have in your notes. And so one of the freedoms that I have is I'm willing to just say, hey, let's set that aside. And I want to preach where, where, where I feel that God has led me and, and the message that he wants me to share. You guys okay with that? All right. All right. So the, the lead scripture that's up there, we're going to teach from Hosea. Okay, You don't hear a lot of messages from Hosea very often, but you're going to hear one today, and I think it is a really cool message that I want to give to you. So this is Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. And we're going to bring up that slide, and wow, that is a busy slide. 
It's like those things that hypnotize you, right? Like you look at it long enough and you get hypnotized. Don't look at it that long. I'm going to read it for you, okay? This is Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. This is out of the NLT, which I don't often preach or teach from the NLT. It is a, it's a good translation. It reads very well. It's kind of more like how we would talk. Uh, it's not my preferred uh, teaching or study scripture, but I'll talk more about that later. But then, here's what it is. This is Hosea speaking. Now, I want to kind of preface this. This is an interesting chapter. If you read Hosea from start to finish, and I always encourage that you do that, okay? Don't read any scripture in isolation. You can make a scripture in isolation say just about whatever you want it to say. I always encourage you to at least read before and after, and preferably the whole chapter, or if you can, read the entire book when we're trying to do this. So I'm going to talk, this is our scripture that's going to kind of guide us today, but I'm going to kind of give us an overview of the entire book of Hosea. I think you need to do that in order to have a real grasp about what's going on. So I'm going to teach you some about that. But Hosea, when he's writing this, it's it's in the form of poetry. It doesn't look much like the poetry we did now, but it was meant to be transmitted verbally, okay? And so it kind of had a rhyme, kind of had a, a meter to it, that is, that could be transmitted like that. And so when you look at some of this stuff, like, people don't talk like that. Well, it, the way that it was written and the way that it was transmitted was for that purpose. But also, Hosea goes back and forth in between speaking about himself as himself, a man, and Gomer, his wife, and God and Israel, okay? They're metaphorical. Hosea and, and the Lord and then Gomer and Israel are kind of allegories here back and forth. And he'll, so he'll drift in and out of one minute he's speaking about himself, one minute he's speaking about the Lord. So in this case, he's kind of talking both, but it's mostly about the Lord and his love for Israel. So, but then I will win her back once again. This is a wayward Israel, I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. Okay. Now that goes back and forth. Again, it is him speaking both as the Lord to his bride Israel, and then as Hosea to his bride Gomer. So as we go on, hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense here. So as we open up, I want to just kind of give you a preface of of what this is about. First of all, start bringing your Bibles to church. This is one thing that I'm going to say right now. I'm going to tell you it's okay to bring your Bible to church. Nobody's going to make fun of you here for carrying your Bible but I'm always going to encourage you to look at your Bible and seek back and forth. Now, if you use your phone, whatever, that's absolutely fine. Use that. But, but try and bring it, or at least have one where you can refer to it if you want to. I, I want you to see the whole word. I want you to also, as you're listening to a message like this, pray for that rhema word from God. Okay? You read that. You read that scripture, and that's the Logos word. That's the written word, which is our anchor. It is unchanging. It is the constant thing that we have that we can refer to. But what we want is for God to speak to us through that rhema word, that fresh word that is only going to be for you. See, I believe that as a pastor, my job is to preach the word, and I can interpret it, tell you what I feel that it's saying, but it's not for me to tell you what to think. It's not for me to tell you, this is what you should do. That's, up for, that's for the Lord to do that. That's for the Holy Spirit in us 
to do that. That rhema word that you receive through a message is going to do that. And so as we go forward as Discover Community Church, one of the things that we're going to do is we're not printing bulletins at all anymore. You won't have bulletins. Now, those of you who like notes, you can still get them on version. You'll be able to have those. But what we're going to do is we're going to have journals available. Okay, and Starting next week, you can buy one or you can bring your own journal. And here's what I want. I want you to listen to a message, no matter who's preaching up here, and ask God for that rhema word. Lord, what should I do? What's my response to what you're teaching here today? What should I do? And then just write those things down. Okay, I see people kind of taking dictation. They're like trying to transcribe the entire message. And that's okay to a point, but God's going to speak something special to you through a message. That's our goal. And so whatever he speaks to you, you write that down in that journal. And then at the end of the year, at the end of the, of the month, whatever, you look back at that journal and you've got some nuggets that God spoke just to you. Okay, it's one thing to have a pastor give you a nugget, and that's cool, but what God speaks to you is so much better than anything I could ever do. So I want to encourage you to do that. Start doing that. But so anyway, as we go back into Hosea, um, it's a book about God's love, God's faithful love. If you've ever written the book of Hosea, it's easy to scan through and just go, this book is a downer. This book is all about you have failed and therefore I'm going to turn my back on you. And it's, it is definitely a roller coaster ride. But when you look at it and you really study what the book is about, it's about God's unfailing covenant love for us. His unfailing love that no matter how many times we fail, he'll take us back. Not only will he accept us back, but he yearns for us and he pursues us no matter how many times we do the wrong thing. And here's the other thing I want you to know about a book like this. Obviously, Hosea is an Old Testament book written by a Jewish prophet for a Jewish audience, a Hebrew audience, okay? But it foreshadows Jesus. They didn't know of Jesus back then. They weren't necessarily even expecting Jesus. They thought a Messiah was coming, but they thought he was going to be totally different than what Jesus looked like. So when you read a, a book like this, when you read Scripture in the Old Testament, think about how amazing it is that here you have this Hebrew prophet, and he's writing about uh, uh, things that are going on in their life and in their times, and he's foreshadowing Jesus. He's foreshadowing our need for a Savior. But not only that, but he is directly pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. But they don't know it. But that's God's hand in all this. And so it's cool to look for those places where Jesus is foreshadowed. So going into Hosea then, the little background of the book. Hosea uh, did his ministry about 750 B.C. Okay, so that's about 2,750 years ago. 2,700 years ago. And he's talking about an unfaithful wife and a difficult marriage and the ups and downs of life. How many of us have those kinds of things going on right now or know somebody who's going through those sorts of things? The Bible, 2,700 years ago, is speaking about things that are relevant today. That's one of the wonderful things about the Word is it is so relevant to what's going on in our lives. So, so anyway, 2,700 years ago, Hosea, by the way, means, you know, how, how in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, names are word pictures, okay? Names mean something about your character, your destiny, something like that. Hosea actually means the same thing as Jesus. It means salvation. It means salvation. So his name is salvation. Again, just a kind of a foreshadowing in just his name of Jesus coming or of the need for that. He's one of 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament, 
okay? So there are 12 books of minor prophecies. Now, minor prophet doesn't mean that when the prophets had their, their picnics, you know, that Hosea had to sit at the, at the kids' table with all the other minor prophets. He, he is, he is a, a full-on prophet. Minor just refers to how short the book is. It's just, a, it's just a short book, and so they call him a minor prophet. He actually ministered in the northern kingdoms. Okay, into the northern Israel was divided at that point. The northern kingdom was called Israel, or Ephraim was another name because that was its largest tribe. Uh, and then the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Okay, so we had Judah in the southern, and then we had Israel in the northern. He ministered primarily in that northern kingdom at the same time that another prophet, Isaiah, was actually ministering in the southern kingdom in Judah. So he's a contemporary of Isaiah. They were preaching and prophesying at about the same time in roughly the same areas, just north and south. The, the south was doing pretty good at that time. It was fairly prosperous, but the north was really, really tumultuous, man. There was, it, this could be uh, one of those thriller novels going on with all the stuff that was going on in the northern kingdom. Hosea, in his ministry, in the time that he prophesied in his ministry, he actually lived through six different kings. Six different kings. You think of kings reigning for a long time. His ministry actually spanned through six different kings. Four of the six were assassinated. Four of the six kings were assassinated. The others were removed by different uh, nefarious activities, and, you know, we don't know for sure. But, but, again, this could read like a novel, all the stuff that was going on. It was up and down. And in the middle of this, Hosea is trying to stay true to what the Lord wants him to preach. So he's traveling around preaching God's covenant. Stay, stay close. Stay true. Stay true to what God has for you. And at this point, with all the ups and downs that Israel was going through, there were other outside influences that were coming in. Okay? Other kingdoms, other neighboring kingdoms and things were coming in. In fact, the latest king, the final king in the, in the string right here, had allowed those other nations to come in and really be a strong influence. Now, one byproduct of that is prosperity. Okay, they're bringing in their outside, their money, their, their influence, and there's all kinds of prosperity. So towards the end of here, when this book is actually written, the nation of Israel or the kingdom has really turned towards these other countries and their ways. Rather than being, being uh, followers of God and really trying to stick close and, and keeping their culture tight, they're opening up and they're saying, hey, let's bring in that part of that culture, that part of that culture, let's bring this one in. And you've heard of Baal. Baal is actually, the worship of Baal was actually being endorsed by the king at that time. It was becoming very, very popular. So it was just exploding in popularity. And one reason for that is after all these years of ups and downs and, and, and ins and outs and good times, bad times, and all that kind of stuff, it actually started to smooth out for them a little bit. But the reason it smoothed out is because, again, they're bringing in all these other things. And so there, were, there was a real... Um, a real culture of sensual gratification through food, through prostitution, through all, all the, the pleasures of the flesh, to, so to speak, were becoming very, very popular, and the country was, in its way, thought it was prospering. Okay? But in the middle of this, you've got this prophet Hosea, and he's traveling around, and he's saying, guys, this, this is not the way. This is not what we should be doing. We should be staying true. We are God's chosen people. We should be staying true to what God has called us to do. But he's just, it's just like he's preaching into the wind. Nobody's hearing him. 
And they're not hearing him because to their eyes, things are looking pretty good. So here's Hosea going around preaching doom and gloom. And hey, watch out for our neighbor, Assyria. Assyria is a major military power. It's like the only chance we have of standing against Assyria is if God is on our side. And God's not going to be on our side if we're following the ways of Baal. If we're pursuing the pleasures of the flesh everywhere we can, God is not going to be on our side. Guys, we need to repent and we need to turn back to him. So this is where we are, (coughs) excuse me, in the middle of all this. So Hosea's traveling around. He's, again, doing his best, doing his best to get people to listen to him and and staying true. And in the midst of this, God comes to him, and he says, Hosea, I want you to take a bride. I want you to take a bride from among these people. Okay, so you got to be thinking, Hosea is saying, man, I'm doing the best I can to go around and preach and stay true, and you want me to choose a bride from these people? Scripture actually says in Hosea 1, chapter 1, verse 2, says to take a wife of harlotry. God specifically commands him to take a wife of harlotry. It says, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So I want to take a second to teach you guys something. When you read, you hear that and you're saying, okay, why would God want him to go take a harlot as a wife? Here, this is a holy man doing the best that he can to preach this to the, to the nation and hold things together for the Lord. He's a hardworking guy. And you say, go take a harlot for a wife? Why would you do that? Okay, so I want to teach you this. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you find something, and there's plenty of them in there where you go, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Why would God say that? It doesn't seem right. It's one of those things that can cause a lot of division when people say, well, why would, why would God take, tell this, this preacher to go take a harlot for a wife? Okay, some people would take that and go, okay, that means it's okay for me to go take a harlot for a wife. That's not what it means. So whenever you find those things that don't make sense, I urge you to dig deeper into it. Look deeper into the meaning and really question that. Don't just read the words and say, okay, that's what that means. You have to look back. And in this case, I want to take you all the way back to nearly a 1,000 years before this time when God is speaking to Moses. God is speaking to Moses, and God actually tells Moses that in those days, Israel will play the harlot. Okay, so he, he prophesies ahead of time. With God, it's not prophecy. He knows it's going to happen. But he tells Moses that Israel is going to play the harlot, going to turn away from the ways of the Lord, and is going to start seeking pleasures, and is going to start opening up to other nations and other influences. God tells Moses that. So when you see this, when God is saying, go take a harlot for a wife, doesn't mean literally a prostitute, or literally a a loose woman. It means take a woman from this society that has turned away from me, this society that has forsaken me and started pursuing other ways, the society that worships Baal and all that. Go ahead, go ahead, go take a woman from this. That's what he's telling her, what God is telling him. So you see that and you go, okay, well, why would God do that? The other thing I want to teach you is that it's not always about you. Okay, maybe it's about the wife. Okay, here's this holy man, and he probably thought, 
why, God, should I do that? Aren't there more suitable candidates for me? Somebody that's a little bit more pure of, of heart and spirit. But maybe it was about her. So that's just another thing that we need to consider when we see things. It's not always about us. It's about maybe he's the one guy who could get through to her. Maybe he's the one guy that could redeem her life from the direction it was going. Okay? So just always look at things through that, through that lens if you can. So anyway, so the love story begins. Hosea, Hosea chooses her. Her name is Gomer. Chooses her. And they start, they start living their life together. Okay? They end up actually having three children. And it looks like things are starting to settle down. She's, she's living with, with Hosea. She's starting to kind of calm down a little bit, starting to walk away from, the, from uh, that lifestyle that she had. She, again, she had, they have three children. They don't have them all at one time. They have them once in a row. And being a man of God, Hosea seeks the Lord's vision, seeks his direction on what he should name his children. Again, think about in the Hebrew language, what you name a child, that's, that's their destiny. So he's seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, what should I name my children? Okay, and they come, one after another, three children. And the Lord tells him, first of all, your first child, name him Jezreel. Okay, Jezreel translates as sight of reckoning. Not a great thing for a name, sight of reckoning, okay? So he's got to be thinking, well, all right. That's because he, you know, being a Hebrew at that time, he would have known exactly what Jezreel referred to, and that's a whole other message, but it's not a great thing. The second child comes along, and God says, what should I name this child? And the Lord says, Lo Ruhamah. I want you to name this child Lo Ruhamah, which means no compassion. Okay, so he's got to be thinking uh, something, something is not right here. This is not what I envisioned for my children. Third child comes along. Third child, Lo-Ami. Lord tells him, name him Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami means literally no relation to me. No relation to me. So at this point, he's starting to think something is seriously wrong here. Starts to actually suspect that Gomer has not been faithful to him. And maybe some or all of these children aren't even his. Okay. So he starts watching Gomer, and Gomer slowly, little by little, starts going back to her old ways. In fact, entirely walking out on her family, walking out on the children, walking out on Hosea, and just leaving entirely, leaving the kids with Hosea, going back to the life that she had before, the life of harlotry. Now, being a married woman going out in there, she was... She was worth very little. In fact, she was just considered property. The first guy that found her, claimed her. And then Hosea watches from a distance as she gets passed from man to man to man. She gets passed around like property. But he stands back and he watches. Now, I want to tell you how hard must that have been for him to watch his wife. Because he refuses to divorce her. He says, I'm not going to divorce you. You are my wife. You're the mother of my children. I'm not going to divorce you. But there's another thing that he doesn't do. He doesn't go storming into whatever, whatever brothel or wherever Gomer is and just grab her by the shirt and drag her out and say, you're mine, come with me. He doesn't do that. What kind of success do you think that would have had? Had he gone in there and drug her out and brought her back home, do you think she would have stayed? 
You think her heart would have been changed at that point? No, in fact, she probably would have been mad at him. Like, look, I had wine, I had bread, I had all the things I wanted. I had all the, all the pleasures of the flesh available to me, and you're dragging me back into your, your priest's home, which I can imagine was probably fairly stark at that point, at least in comparison. It wouldn't have been effective. So I want you to think, when we think about the things that we go through, Sometimes the hard times that we have, the, sec- the paths of our life, the wrong decisions that we make, the decisions that we look back years later and go, man, I totally took the wrong path and I messed up. Our tendency is to go, God, why didn't you take me out of that? Why didn't you drag me back to that place of comfort and safety? Well, I want to draw a parallel here. If God would have done that, we wouldn't have come to it ourselves. If we don't come to that decision ourselves, just as Gomer, she didn't come to that decision, but if he yanked her out of there, she would have thought it was punishment. And she would have yearned to go back to that. God lets us make our own decisions. Because when we reach that point where we realize this is not working, and we seek out to him, he's right there. It's not that he turns his back on us and goes somewhere else until when you, when you come to your senses, you come to me. He's standing right there over your shoulder looking at you saying, children, just turn around. Just turn around and here I am. But he'll wait patiently. He'll wait patiently until we make that decision and we turn to him. So ultimately, here's what happens. Sorry. Sorry. It's very tempting to judge Gomer, very tempting to judge her for jumping into that lifestyle. In in Hosea 2, chapter 2, verse 7, at least the second half of it, she actually comes to her senses, and she says, this is not working, and she says these words, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. What does that sound like? We've been teaching about the prodigal for the past few weeks. Same story. He had to make the decision. He had to come to the, to the revelation that, hey, it's better for me back where I was. Same as Gomer. It's a recurring theme. God doesn't just yank us out and say, come with me. This is where you should go. He shows us the path, lets us make our decision, and sometimes we make the wrong decision. But when we do, he's always there to welcome us back. But we need to be the ones to make that decision for it to have an impact in our hearts. So she comes back to him. Again, it's very tempting. When you look at what Gomer has been pursuing, 2-5, um, this is actually back a little bit soon, but he's, uh, Hosea is saying, for their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, talking to his children about this. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil to drink. So basically she's saying her lovers, her multiple lovers, take care of her every need. So as we sit here, we may not be going, well, I I don't do that. But how many of us look to our careers, to to our jobs, to our inheritance, to whatever it is that we have as our source? We look to those kinds of sources rather than to God. And one thing that God impressed on me, I feel like he gave me this word. He said, if you chase after blessings on your own, in other words, if you pursue blessings through your own flesh, through your own understanding, you'll ultimately end up with nothing. But if you pursue the giver of blessings, 
you will ultimately have everything. God promises us that. Pursue him and all these will be added unto you. Pursue not the blessing. Pursue the giver of the blessing. Gomer comes to that realization, starts coming to her senses. Thankfully, God is relentlessly faithful. So at the end of all this, that love story gets to continue. Okay? He goes back and he buys her. Hosea actually buys her for 15 shekels and a one and a half homers of barley. A homer is just a, 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 like a small bushel. Okay? 15 shekels and that much barley is actually just for, for reference. It's about half the going price of an ox. So she had sunk to the point to where he could go in and he could purchase her back for half the price of an ox. Okay? Now, a mindset in that days was if somebody bought me, I'm their slave. So at that point, he had every right to just treat her as a slave, make her sleep in the barn, treat her as property. But he didn't do that. He didn't buy her to discipline her. He didn't buy her to enslave her. He bought her to redeem her. He bought her to redeem her life from the direction that it was. Again, a foreshadowing of Jesus, paying the price for us to redeem us from our ways, knowing full well what our tendencies were, just as Hosea knew Gomer's tendencies to go back to that life. And in fact, as this book unravels, she goes back, comes back, she waffles back and forth. There is a roller coaster ride of up and down. So it's not just, hey, the story ends right here, but it is a story of redemption. He paid the price for her to bring her home and to redeem her life and to offer her the life that she was meant to have, the life that God wanted her to have when he put her with Hosea. And we have that very same opportunity. So let's put that scripture back up again, Hosea 2, 14 to 16. But then I will win her back once again into the desert and speak tenderly. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. He's talking about taking her into that place and showing her the choices. He leads her into the desert, and the desert is not a great place to be, both metaphorically and really, if you've been there. It's not a great place, but he leads her into there and then speaks tenderly to her there. Okay, And it doesn't go on to document what she said, but I can imagine it's you have this choice. You see this desert around you? This can be yours, or you can come with me. You have a choice. He gives her the choice and goes on to say, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Again, bouncing back and forth between speaking of Gomer and speaking of Israel. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. If we have a master-slave mindset, that master-slave mindset leads us to say things like, I need to get what I have coming to me. I need to work harder to get what's mine because no one else has my best interest at heart. No one else is going to give it to me. So I need to get what I have coming to me because no one else is looking out for my best interest. That's a master-slave mindset with us, obviously, as the slaves. But a husband and wife mindset says my needs will be taken care of. I will have everything I need if I just follow my husband. Okay, our husband, we are the bride of Christ. 
That means our husband is Christ. By following him and keeping our mind on him and our eyes on him and pursuing him as the giver of gifts, we will have everything that we need. But if we get distracted and we start saying, I need to, I need to seek this out on my own, I need to strive, I need to push for more, ultimately and we end up with nothing. So the reason this is possible is because of God's covenant love for us. So if you've ever heard the difference between a covenant and a contract, okay, especially in relation to marriage, every time I do a wedding, I always illustrate this difference. But a contract, a lot of people will tell you that marriage is a contract. And a contract says that if you fail in your part, then it lets me out of my obligations. Or if I fail in any of my obligations, then it lets you out of yours. Okay, that's a contract. So many people look at marriage as that kind of a contract. Well, they didn't give me the affection that I thought I, was, I deserved. They didn't uh, support me, support my needs as much as I thought that they should have. So therefore, I'm out. They're not fulfilling their obligation. That's not what a, co- what a covenant is. A covenant says, I will do everything, every promise that I have made to you this day, I will do regardless of what you do or what you don't do. And that's what God has a covenant with us. God says, you are my people and I am your God. That's his covenant with us and it's not dependent on us doing the right thing. Thankfully enough, amen? Amen. It's not dependent on that. God's covenant is established with us regardless of what we do or what we don't do. But the blessing lies in following him and pursuing him as the giver of all of our gifts. There's no punishment in time spent away from him. That's the other thing. No matter how long we're away from God, there is no punishment when we return to him. There's no, he's looking at his watch saying, it's about time I was waiting for you. God is always right there with us, wanting nothing more than just for us to run to him. So time spent away, one of the saddest things that I ever experienced is people saying, I haven't been to church in years. And it's not because I don't believe in God, but it's because I just kind of strayed. And I've been living my own life. I went away to college for several years and just lost track. And, but I haven't been to church in years. I don't know if I can return. It's been too long. Do you think God is ever saying, it's been too long, you're out, the clock has expired on you, so, so stay on the outside now? No. God wants us every day, and he wants us in his arms. And we should want that. There's no punishment only redemption. That's why he sent his son Jesus to redeem us once and for all. Also, by the way, when, when Hosea took Gomer, he knew her tendencies. He knew that it was going to be a struggle. She'd go back and forth, and he'd have, to, he'd have to continue to try and rein her in. The Lord gave himself for us. He gave himself for us knowing our tendencies that some would reject him outright some would reject him seasonally. Well, it's a good time. I'll come back to church. Now I'll leave. I'll come to Christ. Now I'll leave. He knew that, and he still gave himself for us. So, hey, the worship team can go ahead and come on up. I've gone a little over my time. I apologize. But I just want to reaffirm to you guys, don't chase after the blessings of life. Don't chase after what the world's got for you. Okay, there are so many people who get so wrapped up. You ask them, How's your day? How's your week? How's your month? And they just go busy, busy. I was just working a lot. I was just doing a lot of things. And usually it comes down to I need to 
I need to provide for my family, need to provide for myself. And that's okay. We need to provide for ourselves and provide for our families, but not at the expense of seeking God. Because if we seek God, then all those things will be added unto us. All those blessings will come our way, and they'll come our way. We may still have to get up and go to work early. We may still have to work long nights. I'm not saying any of that is not relevant, but it's where is your provision coming from? Is your provision coming from your hard work, or is it coming from the Lord? Let's keep our eyes on him. He is patient, and he is relentless. And no matter how many times you fall down and skin your knee, he will be there to pick you up. No matter how many times you stray, again, if you read the rest of Hosea, it is up and down. I'd like to say it ends right there where he takes her back home and everything is wonderful, but it doesn't. Just like the history of Israel, it goes up and down and in and out, and and there's good times and there's bad times. And there's never a time where it says, the end, they lived happily ever after. Okay, because life doesn't really work like that. We have an enemy who is always trying to defeat what God wants to give us. Okay? So let's keep our eyes focused on him. So as we go into this new year, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to continue doing things the way we have. And I'm speaking for myself in large part. As we launch this new church, I'm thinking, are people going to come? Are people going to tithe? Am I going to be able to give myself a paycheck at the end of the month? I don't know very tempting to start looking at the numbers and go, oh man, I hope this works. But here's what I know. God called us to do this. God called my wife and I to step out of that comfort zone and into what he had for me. And so if I pursue him and I pursue what he's got for me and for this church, we will all live in that blessing because all of this will be given to us. So that's the choice that we all have to make. Are we going to, in this coming year, stay focused on him, the giver of gifts? Or are we going to stay on that hamster wheel of trying to to get more and more and more and earn our own from the world? It's that slave mindset versus the bride of Christ mindset. Okay, I want to keep my eyes focused on the giver. Amen? So, hey, guys, as we... uh, I'm just going to close up to finish it right here. We've got our prayer team in the back. We will always from now on have prayer teams available. So maybe you need somebody to pray with you over what this message is speaking to you. Maybe you just want to sit in your chair and just listen to the next song or two and just let the Lord minister to you and speak that rhema word to you. Like, Lord, what would you have me do with this message? That's ultimately what I want is have him speak to you. On another side note, We are starting in uh, about two weeks, give or take. We're starting 40 days of prayer. We're kicking off our new church with 40 days of prayer where we are going to come together corporately and we're going to pray guided prayers. We'll send you messages and let you know, here's what we're praying for this day or this week. And I'd like to have you guys all participate in that. So there's a sign-up sheet out there on the Info Center table where you can sign up for that. And we'll actually give you the information that you need. If you'd like, you could grab Weston in the back. He's actually leading our prayer ministry and he can answer some questions about that. But I'd love to have you join us in that. And we'll give you a little bit more information about that next week, but just kind of have that in your mind. So again, let's keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you that you are so good to us and you are the giver of gifts. And so Lord, we just repent 
of, of trying to, to provide for ourselves, of, of trying to seek out more and more and more and thinking that we can do this in our strength. God, we acknowledge you as the giver of everything that we have. And so Lord, we want to be in your blessing. We want to pursue you and more of you. God, we want all of you. And so whether we've been away for a long time, whether we've always been by your side, God, we know that you are faithful and you have never left us. No matter where our mind goes, you have never left us. And so Lord, we just embrace you right now. You are our Lord, you are our savior and you are our provider. Lord, we love you and we praise you.